it always becomes like instantly awkward once yeah, I don't know. On, it's like, I don't know how like, we should be like greeting each other if we should be introducing ourselves. Blah, blah, blah. Oh. <laughs> Hello, I don't Andy. think we're gonna have to talk that loud during. Because last time I think I kept, I would laugh and then it would just be like, <laughs> like, like that. that. <laughs> um, so I'll turn it down. No, uh, worst part was I had one of my friends come in when I was using a mic like this so that, because I don't like my own singing voice. And so I always make someone else sing something, whether or not I wrote it, um, especially if I wrote it actually, which is weird for most people to hear. Like, I, I don't want to sing my own thing. I mean, kind of, sometimes. But I had someone go and sing it, and we were just using a Blue Yeti because we were literally chilling in a classroom. Um, And so he starts singing it, and with singing, it's weird because the best way to pick up sound is if naturally the mic picks it up at, like, this really, really loud level. And then when you actually, like, transpose it down because you mess with it and, like, the actual production, if I'm starting tweaking the voice and then I'll, like, go into a MIDI and, like, overlay something on it, then you'll end up like seeing a bunch more happen and so you end up muting the voice a lot slowly and then overall the track gets muted significantly at the very end because that gives it a quote-unquote cleaner sound and it comes out more like like the live form i guess is how like my choir teacher used to talk about it and so it would be super weird because like if you were seeing these little things like just the very little volume amounts popping up based on the gain they'd say that's all wrong gain all the way up and, like, they'd oh. run it until you were seeing, like, the tracks hitting the top bars or going further as much as possible. Because that meant the vocals were at the right volume pickup, which was really, really strange. Because yeah. I, like, never expected you don't want it at, like, something moderate or, like, normal, I guess, is almost, like, what I thought it would be. And huh. so because that was, like, my first experience with a mic, I remember <laughs> next time I ever had to use a mic <laughs> oh, no. for, like, a recording on a laptop, it was a talking thing. And I went and I made sure the gain was all the way up high. And my teacher looked at me and he was like, do you, I thought you, did you use a mic before this? And I was like, yeah, for singing. And he looked at me and said, oh, you poor soul. And I had no clue why it was so bad. If it's acapella, you want it to be like talking, like you don't want the gain to be up so high. But once you, if you're gonna edit and you're gonna put instruments since the voice becomes like one of your first tra- parts of the track laid down like outside of like especially the bass and percussion when you re-put together a song even though like a lot of people they'll record a song hearing like all of the instruments so that they know where they're coming in and things like that and it's easier to sing to like the full accompaniment when you actually produce it you put the vocals down as one of the first tracks and so right. because of that you're putting percussion over it and you're running like the string sounds maybe right over in direct comparison especially because it's going to be same key or it's going to be same pitches that you're matching the string to with a lot of accompaniment patterns and so when you do that the voice is going to naturally become more muted and then you like compress the song so much and like turn the volume down that when i heard the final product of like one of my friend's songs that he actually used for a senior project i was so confused (laughs) because i had sat during like lunches and i would listen to him work on it for a lot of lunches because it was just so cool to watch and I like helped him with the bass track and like switching stuff around and then I was like are you sure this bass isn't too loud and he's like nah everything's gonna be loud for now and I would be so so confused and then when it was done I was like that doesn't seem right 
like how is it that good suddenly yeah. it because it didn't hurt my ears anymore which was unexpected but i mean it's really fun and it's cool to watch i guess music at my school because we have a giant choir program but it's nice to know in a way that not everyone's sticking to the traditional if that makes sense because like our choir has been around as long as the school has and even before that our choir oh. teachers like much older so like everyone who you'd imagine oh they're involved in singing once you put them in choir it seems like oh okay they're involved in classical training right but it's they actually like have a lot of cool backgrounds and like our band teacher and our choir teacher they're great about helping people like get to like I guess more modern sounds if they really want it. That's cool. Yeah. It's fun to watch. I don't I wish I was still more involved in that community. I'm honestly not. But you're probably pretty busy. <laughs> I mean <laughs> I mean from what you've within said, the school probably, the yeah. Mm-hmm. This week's hectic. This week is club rush at our school actually. Did you have a club rush when you were in high school? I feel like we did. I just did theater. Ah. So my theater people are still some of my favorite people right now. <laughs> actually, I'm tutoring special ed kids this year which is awesome in its own right because it's like so nice to see them being able to like assimilate into natural classes and mm-hmm. given that opportunity because a lot of times they're like segregated off and never yeah. given like even one class with everyone else and so the peer tutors were there to help them in a class with everyone else which is mm-hmm. so nice because I get to see everyone else interact too and mm-hmm. it's actually an acting one class and oh. it's super fun because they're doing a monologues unit right now and it's the funniest thing like I got one of the girls is doing Alice in Wonderland and they even got her a costume and everything and it's got like the cute little bonnet and it's so funny how everyone's like they're probably gonna have trouble with this communication but they really don't they have a different way of perceiving it Mm -hmm. they're great at acting definitely a lot more confidence than me too because I can't do acting I'll stick behind the scenes uh Last time I was on the stage, I had to do a monologue as King Gilgamesh while my beard fell off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they got to get better beard glue, I guess. Well, they didn't glue it. It had two, like, loops that went around my ears. It was really scruffy and uncomfortable, and I'm glad I'm not doing it again. (laughs) Wait, if you did... So you did theater all four years? Uh... I mean, Kinda? I kind of, I did all of the, I did every theater class that was offered, all oh, of the wow. technical design, all of the acting, and then there was a filmmaking class that he started, um, and I wish I had done more of the plays, but um, I did most of the musicals, and which is not a good idea because I was not, I've gotten much better at singing, I think, but back then I was not very good at singing at all, and so, you know, you don't get very good roles in musicals. Which yeah. Yeah really wow them with singing um so i wish i'd done more plays because then i could have gotten better roles but it's really fun at my school it's interesting like a lot of the friends i have were like actresses like one of my best friends she's right now like she's really involved in theater and she is one of the co-presidents actually at westview theater and it's super cool to see like everything she does and the guy is also in there he's another story he's insanely talented in choir and theater and all of that he has perfect pitch i can't oh like, man listening to him is such a fun thing because you can play a note and he'll identify it or like that which is so cool and he only realized he had perfect pitch like a little while ago so like over the past couple summers he's just developed it so well but it's been amazing to see just how fast he's been able to progress in his skill set. But they both specialize in, like, a certain realm of acting. Like, um, 
one of them, she's almost entirely like a comedic actress, and that is kind of her route that she's kind of always been um, a part of when she's been in Westview Theater. And he gets leads, but he's also like, he's like almost a fairy tale actor, is what a lot of people call him, because he has a great ability of portraying like the prince like role or like the protagonist role. And he's also really good in like the idea of the anti hero, where there's a lot for his character to learn. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I've noticed with Westview, at least, a lot of our theater department kids have a specialization. Did you have a thing you thought you specialized in? Um, I feel like it would have been comedy, because I love, yeah. like, most of the shows I watch are comedy. Mm. But, well, I mean, I also, I did, like, a lot of filmmaking yeah, stuff yeah. in high school. So I would make, like, my own short films. They were terrible. Just, uh, uh. <laughs> um, I would compete at the Oregon State Thespians yeah. Festival every year, and I would always lose. But I ended. I feel like I ended up learning a lot, and I'm kind of yeah. glad that I did lose because I maybe it led me to a better path. Blah blah blah. But <laughs> it was fun. I'm glad to be out of high school though, because yeah. there's a lot less drama in college, and there's a lot less hormones, and everyone kind of calms down That is down a, a really, bit. really nice thing to hear. It's, yeah, it's a big difference. I didn't realize until, like, I kind of had an epiphany once high school was over, and I was, like, I just had yeah. my friends at work, and then there was college. Yeah, I feel like I'm right now, I'm that 16-year-old surrounded by raging hormones in every direction, and I don't know wild. what to do with it. It definitely calms down, and I was... It's just so yeah. nice when high school's over, and it's like, wow, the world is not as crazy as it felt <laughs> back then, and everyone, I don't know, everyone's just Mellows. calmer. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like nicer, because there's just so much gossip, and kind of, it gets a bit toxic sometimes, because yeah. everyone's, ah, high school, hormones, blah, blah, blah. Did you feel like the, like, academic expectations also kind of laid off a little bit? Um. Or do you think it was more in kind of the social sphere? I would not be the best person to ask because, okay, when I was in high school, I didn't really start caring about education and mm, stuff until yeah. junior or senior year. And I, like, I'm pretty much like the opposite of what I was. Yeah. Back then, no, yeah. like, um, I, would, I used to get, like, D's and C's. I'm talking bad. Um, and then, like, I started getting straight A's and took, I took a few yeah. AP classes. My uh last two years yeah and now I'm majoring in math and computer science yeah. and uh, getting almost straight A's yeah but I mean the the GPA like if you're transferring from here to like another college you'll yeah. see that like they're expecting a, a like a lower GPA compared to like a high school GPA so I guess it must be I mean, I don't know if that's academic expectation so much as they understand a college environment differs from a high school environment, right? Yeah. Because, like, one of the things I noticed, especially, like, the first class I took with PCC was vector calculus. Uh, mm-hmm. I will admit to not have having a professor I connected with well in the sense that I was the sole female in the class and he wasn't particularly fond of me, oh. nor did he appear to be fond of females. Um, actually, I had a conversation with Damien about this at one point because it was something that, like, I ended up having to talk to members of the department and, like, counselors about. It was a whole mess. Um, But the one thing is, like, as a professor and, like, with the standards, and, like, this was true even in Damien's class, there's, I think, more to the expectations. Like, even Mm -hmm. compared to an AP class in high school. Like, my... I'm trying to think. There was this one class. 
It's my sophomore year. I think it was my AP psychology class. Um, it was not only an AP, but it was also supposed to be dual credit with Western Oregon University. So you think, okay, this must be really intensive. You're expecting like the college environment. Honestly, that class ended up being one of the easiest classes I'd taken in terms of like mm -hmm. how they molded it, which was really unfortunate because I like was thinking they're going to drill in the habits I really need. And honestly, I need to get out of my procrastination <laughs> mindset. Like I've been a proud citizen of that nation for a long time. Like that's a running joke in my friend group is that <laughs> all of us have a problem where we're dual citizens of the U.S. and quote unquote procrastination. <laughs> uh, and so I thought, OK, a class like AP Psych where it's both AP and it's dual, that's gotta be the final straw mm -hmm. i think it yeah it really depends on the teacher as well and yeah. the syllabus and all mm -hmm. that yeah and i think like honestly dual credit classes i'm taking this year might be more demanding than certain ap's i have at my school which is interesting um like i'm taking survey a lit which is first semester it does an english 254 with pcc and then second semester it does writing 122 oh. um and it's a really cool program and I think this class in general has always been very demanding, but it's also one of my favorite teachers in existence. I love her to pieces. Although part of that is also biased on the fact that I got to have a three-hour conversation with her before my freshman year even started because my sister had her. Oh, uh, nice. So it was super cool, and she was like really open and fun to get to know, which made it a lot easier to go in like with a positive attitude. And she kind of just like molds it very easily, which made it very easy to feel ready. But that class we're reading almost a book a week. Like, it's insanely fast. I am already done with three books for that class. Um, and one of the books was only assigned like two weeks ago. Uh, and we have a final project where we're reading two or three books that's due in December. And we're gonna finish at least two more books before December for like other projects. So it's a, you better get going, you better get going. Yeah. And every other book, you're writing a response paper on one of those two books. So. There's a lot to that class in terms of like the workload, which I feel like I didn't even have in my AP Lang class. I probably did in my AP Lit, but that was based on the teacher. The other 50% who had the other teacher didn't have it then either. So I think that's like a really interesting thing for me that's like triggered is like, I almost feel like that's true in a lot of schools now, which is unfortunate, mm -hmm. is like, because the norm is like driving it, as many students as possible should be taking APs, they're oh. also kind of taking out that standard of what APs are meant to be. Because like I was able, to, I was allowed, and not that I'm complaining because obviously I liked the challenge, but I was allowed to take two APs my freshman year. And I, the only reason I couldn't take a third is because they did a lottery to pick who got it. There were other students who took three APs in their freshman year itself. Hmm. Which, when you really like look at that, it seems absurd. But then when you look at how easily they came out unscathed after coming out of just a normal public middle school, right? That's when you realize something seems like off with the AP standards. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah, it's been weird. It's and Westview offers so many APs, so it's like it's considered this big school. And like, what is it? Most of my AP classes have over thirty kids, and there are multiple periods of almost every AP class at that school. We have a full class of an AP music theory even. Two, I think last year there were even two full periods of AP studio art. Like, people are AP everything. Wow. 
it's absurd, honestly. <laughs> I'm uh, thinking about it, like actually laying it out and hearing myself say it. I'm like, I'm thinking it's absurd, honestly. I've only done two AP classes before. That was AP Econ and AP Lit. <laughs> AP Econ's a weird one, though, because it's the two. Like, micro oh, yeah. and macro. I really enjoyed it, though. We had a great yeah. teacher. So did I. I liked my teacher. He had funny stories about very, very interesting family members, including one who was <laughs> a recorded criminal for growing shrooms, a.k.a. mushroom drugs, in his basement. Um, also crashing a plane at one point. Oh. <laughs> I love it when teachers just tell, like, crazy stories yes. in the middle of class. It's like, oh. Actually, one of my that brings me to one of my favorite first like big math teachers for me actually uh, seventh grade. I was in like the SUMA program at Stoller, so they like do the whole if you're a tag and you have the really high standardized testings and you want this, we're gonna try and challenge you and give you preparation for accelerated high school starting in middle school. So that was kind of how I got earlier involved in math and like how you do advanced math ahead of time. So like seventh grade for me was geometry. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, thinking about this teacher is the funniest thing. I felt bad because there was a running joke. We had three bald white men as our core teachers for humanities, math, and science. So they were known as the three bald white men. Uh, or our baldness trifecta was the other name. I feel bad. I came in at seventh grade, so I didn't know that like this was gonna be the thing going out of sixth grade with all the other students. And so when I listened to it in the halls, I like, I joined in. I'm not gonna deny it. Everyone right. did it, but it feels bad. Yeah. Until you hear the math teacher made a theme song about it. Yeah. Um. He also though really capitalized on his baldness to tell us these wildly absurd stories of his long wavy hair that he had once upon a time oh that's funny <laughs> that he very much didn't had because he'd later show us pictures of mm. the fact that he didn't have it when he was younger but then other pictures he did so i'm confused but it would just be the away? weirdest yeah. stories maybe but he was also the coolest guy because one of the books he made us do was a book of proofs uh, i don't know if you've heard of it it's called journey through genius mm-hmm. It has Euclidean proof of the Pythagorean theorem. It has the standardized proof of the Pythagorean theorem. It has um, Cardinal's cubic proofs, like things that go all the way out to pre-calculus and start with geometry. And throughout the year, instead of just keeping us to like a normal geometry textbook, he kept the textbook with us and then he'd actually give us the proofs too. And like his tests, we were required to know and understand proofs and you couldn't get away with memorizing them because you shape it at a random step or something like that. So that you'd have to really process and understand what was happening in the proof so you could re-derive something. Or maybe he'd start you even farther back, so you had to derive a certain amount, and then if you memorize, I guess you could paste the rest. Which, I appreciate it, because it was like such a huge challenge, and it was such a different book. You're, it's almost like a novel. A lot of people buy it and read it like a novel. But it's a lot of different writings, and then the actual proofs kind of mixed together. And the diagrams are there, and all of it's super cool. And I remember it was probably the first time I'd seen, like, the Euclidean square proof of the Pythagorean theorem. And just seeing that, like, little figure in the book, I was like, I like this kind of reading. This was middle school? Yeah. You're doing pre-calc in middle school? That wasn't pre-calc, to be fair. That one was geometry. But he would help us get advanced, and we would do some Algebra 2 proofs, which was really cool. I did end up doing pre-calc the next year, because I did... He helped me kind of get started in Algebra 2, and because of that, I really just wanted to get it done, because I liked it. I was ready to mm-hmm. do it. I ended up taking a 
BYU online summer course and then taking like a couple of extra finals and then two preemptive tests in eighth grade. And as soon as that worked, they moved me and four other students, uh, five other students into a pre-calc section. Problem was there wasn't enough room to send us all to one high school or the other that was near our middle school, which obviously means they're not going to want to send us at all because they can't afford to send students to too many different schools if they're in the same class because keeping track becomes way too hard, especially when the only resource they have is a school bus. And like six kids on a school bus, it just creates a situation. Plus scheduling-wise, middle school is so different from high school. (laughs) Like I went back and visited... And I went, and there was this one day that um, a bunch of teachers drove us because we had a day off or, like, something partial in high school. And so we went back to my middle school at, like, 8.30, and I'm like, oh, wait, school hasn't started yet. (laughs) I start at 7.45, but I used to start at (laughs) 9.05. So it's it's a really fun, big transition, I realize. Like, but I appreciated him as a math teacher because I think transformation-wise, he's probably the guy who put me on that path to really wanting to do it like I did math counts and math competitions with him and like the AMC tests and all that stuff he's kind of the guy who introduced me to that world and put me in a lot of that stuff so I thought that was really cool but I feel like a lot of people have like a teacher where you kind of started getting put on that path so I'm curious if you have someone like that I don't I mean I don't think I really had like a I wish I had got onto the path earlier Did you have, like, anyone at some point, or, like, even, like, almost... Feels weird to use this terminology, but, like, almost like a eureka moment, where, like, suddenly you kind of had that epiphany of I like math, or, like, you started getting really particularly into math? Uh, It was, like, a slow process. It it started out, um, I wanted to do, like, filmmaking and stuff, and I knew in the back of my mind, I was like, I'm never going to be able to get an actual job in that Mm -hmm. field. And then, like, it slowly transitioned from, like, okay, I should pick something more realistic. So I chose, like, mechanical engineering Mm -hmm. because I knew a bunch of engineers. Yeah. And so I wasn't super passionate about it at first. And then, like, slowly as I, like, my classes changed and I was learning more and more about it and I started my internship. Yeah. I started to really be like, this is, this stuff is really cool. Yeah. And learning is really awesome. I think when I, oh, you know, when I started... I changed my major to math and computer science this past summer, actually, uh-huh. um, after Damien's linear algebra class, because I <laughs> suddenly realized when we were doing that project at the end, yeah. um, I was like looking through the textbook, and I was realizing there's so much you can do yeah, with math, is. and it's like this whole world and this language. Yeah, I feel like, like the really common college major, um, I've had a lot of friends who ended up going into like applied math, and then... Applied math takes you to almost any route you want, which I think is just mm-hmm. so cool. And, like, when Damien gave us that project at the end where you can talk about anything, I was so excited because in my head, I'm like, I've been a comp sci nerd who's been <laughs> waiting for something like this to happen because suddenly I get to present on machine learning, which, to be honest, I was really, really reluctant to get into when I was younger, probably because also I was younger and, like, you don't really think of predictive analytics and computer science when you're like 10 or 11. And my parents kind of just gave it to me. Yeah, and they you were, were like, mentioning that. You got to try this. And I was like, these two both work with computers. I kind of want to be like them, I guess. Let's try it. Like, I was very, very reluctant about that. Uh, but then, like, I actually got into it. And suddenly it became my science fair theme for a seventh grade. 
and then I used it a little not enough in eighth grade and then suddenly I found myself back to it in ninth grade and then tenth grade onward I've been working on this ongoing research project for facial emotion speech emotion text emotion recognition with machine learning um, and so it's just been something that piece by piece I've been driving myself more and more in machine learning and I've been staying in that field and it's been great partially because like yeah I do have kind of some home resources where I have someone who might not always but like in a lot of ways can be knowledgeable uh, and it's not like every machine learning but like especially at the basics and when I was first learning it was nice when my parents could give me resources to read but then if I didn't understand something I could be like hey dad can you help me understand what this means? Mm-hmm. And sometimes he wouldn't actually know it initially because he, like, machine learning is just such a new art form right. um, that is, like, not fully concrete in terms of how we teach and communicate some of the basics. Uh, and I remember my dad, sometimes he'd look something up, or sometimes I'd just look things up. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the most fun way for me to learn it was honestly going on GitHub and reading through people's code. <laughs> Which, or like Stack Overflow or one of those like giant platforms because when you see how other people solve their problems it was just mm-hmm. that kind of took me to math again it's like understanding how you step by step solve the problem like the proofs originally my 7th grade teacher had showed me uh, and it's like now I'm getting it now I'm kind of piecing it together and so I always thought it was cool how as much as yeah I really want to take a lot of classes to really like solidify my understanding of machine learning there's a lot of it that, for a certain amount, can be self-taught, right. which is so fun. But so I know of like a lot of your math stuff, but I haven't actually gotten to hear kind of your side of things, computer science-wise. Oh well, um, <laughs> how I got into that is um, so at my church. That's kind yeah. of how I know a lot of like engineers. And, yeah. Um, there's this guy in my church. Oh, he's probably gonna listen to this. Oh. <laughs> you should um, say his name. I'm giving him a shout out. <laughs> uh, John Launchbury. <laughs> Because he's in computer science, and he's he's done, like, so much cool stuff, and he's yeah. talked about it, um, and he worked at DARPA for a while. And like, oh, that's cool. He's discussed, like, basics of some of the yeah. projects. I mean, it's all, there's top secret stuff, but, like, yeah, the yeah. stuff that's not top secret <laughs> is discussed. And it, it just sounds like, whoa, there's so much you can do with math and computer science, and it's, I don't know, it's, like, amazing. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, I took a Unix Linux course, and the internship I was at, I was actually working on a Linux operating software, which was, like, brand new to me, because I've always been on a Windows operating software, and even that, I don't know enough about the the command line prompter or how to get the code beneath that, so I'd never really gone that far back in terms of code, because I'd always been on, like, let me do this neural network with Java or work in Python or something like that. I'd never gone so far back as to even the code to run the computer itself and like actually start the applications, run certain operations, right? Uh, and so when I did that, it was also just like, I feel like it's a reminder that it's ever expansionary and you can go in any direction, but also like something like Linux, you're gonna use that operating software for anything and everything you can. And it can be extended to a lot of fields. A lot of environmental scientists I learned like to use Linux because they like to directly code in their data to like get the trends from the prompt because it's a lot more efficient, which I think is really cool. And so I remember my comp sci principles teacher because I'm finally taking AP AP comp sci principles and it's a class I've been looking forward to because it's like AP computer science principles. Um, And it's like a class I was looking forward to because it does a lot with like web design, but it also kind of just addresses like the concrete history of computer science. Uh, And one of the things he said is, 
we're not going to get to touch upon it much this course but i want you to all walk out of this course realizing what you learn here isn't just computer science it's something that can be extended to nearly every field you walk into mm -hmm. which is very true i feel like it's becoming like this kind of revolutionary it is because like, yeah they always need like software engineers and yeah. computer scientists at like so many companies i was like because i was gonna do biomedical engineering yeah. for a while and oh, then i was okay, like well, I bme can... is sick yeah I and i was know. like i can still work at a biomedical engineering yeah. company as a doing computer science coding and whatnot Actually, BME is one of the routes I am kind of interested in. Ninth grade, mm -hmm. my science fair project was I took from, I think it was actually UC Irvine. They have this super cool open sourced machine learning repository just filled with data that people think machine learning could help, like, utilize. And one of the pieces, like, one of the giant data groups I ended up finding is patients with coronary artery disease, which is, like, the most prevalent form of cardiovascular diseases that, and it's the leading cause of death in the U.S., but also, like, particularly the leading um, cardiovascular disease, thereby making it, like, the standout, uh, which I thought, whoa. And then I look it up, and it's like, it's not actually just the U.S., it's actually worldwide, this is the leading right. cause. And I thought, okay, let's see what I can do with this. I ended up feeding it to, like, random forests and decision trees and things like that. You could get super high accuracy with predictions on these early diagnoses and it was super cool for me because i'm looking at it and i'm thinking if i could get more data from these clinics if eventually when i'm older and obviously i have the credentials to be an independent researcher because uh, you know being a minor not great for like trying to be an independent <laughs> researcher uh, getting in contact especially with the cleveland clinic who had been one of the data searches uh, their original data got me up to i think like 97 percent accuracy uh, if i could get that up and if I could work with that, early diagnosis of this disease is a great way to get people on an actual treatment plan. And yeah, you could literally uh, save lives. Yeah, and so it's just, it was such a cool thing to see. I didn't even have to be running about or having the scalpel in your hand or something mm -hmm. like that to genuinely have a way of helping people, which I think for me has always been important in like throughout the, like, I have had life-threatening allergies that ended up putting me in situation with kids who weren't so friendly kind of thing uh and by weren't so friendly i mean they really would threaten my life uh and the worst part was like these kids didn't realize the severity but for me it was like a reminder of helplessness and i realized a lot of yeah. people feel that in a lot of different ways and some people have a lot less control like at least with me i carry an epipen or benadryl mm -hmm. i'm prepared i know to tell people hey don't bring eggs or nuts or whatever it is that they might have that I'm allergic to, mm -hmm. don't keep it near me, right? A lot of people don't even get that sense of control. It's just something that's there. Uh, and so when you realize you don't have to be running around as a doctor to help out with that, that's really cool to me. Because I think that notion that doing something you're passionate about is really important can a lot of the time stem from doing something you're passionate about as a result of personal experience. Mm -hmm. And I kind of thought that that's almost a way that I could relate back which was super fun for me to kind of see. And I think that project in particular was like the first time I really saw that laid out in front of me. Or maybe eighth grade, actually probably eighth grade. But that one was the first time I saw it laid out in front of me where I didn't have to be the person running around or engineering a prototype or something right. like that. Um, so for me, like that's, I guess, like that inch, not intrinsic, that 
I guess is like my interior motive, but like in a way that isn't like shady. <laughs> I'm just trying to think because like that has a connotation, especially like literature wise. It's like you have a bad motive or an alternative motive that's like bad. Like the ulterior motive is almost what it feels like. But for me, it's almost like that kind of just drives my motivation more in comp sci. It's like comp sci is cool, comp sci is fun, comp sci is a lot of math and concrete stuff, but it's also a way to help. Yeah. I mean, it's great when you can find something that you're passionate about, yeah. and it's something that helps other people as well. Yeah. That's one of the major awesome things about biomedical engineering yeah, is yeah. that you're, like, helping... A lot of people kind yeah. of get what they need. Yeah, that's... I think it's also fun just to, like, take a step back and look out everywhere math can go sometimes, or, like, computer science, too. Like, I remember looking at someone who made this graph, I'm trying to remember who it was, or not a graph, like a chart, and they had made this super cool diagram where they just centered on like one point of one very niche thing they were doing with computer science. And then they made a web of every other thing it connected to. And then every other thing it connected to. And then as you keep scrolling and trying to make it bigger, and it has like this zoom out feature so that you can see the next layer of the web, as I kept scrolling, eventually I got to this point where it's like, Aren't you, it literally had just the circle of text that said, aren't you tired of scrolling? <laughs> you should tell by now these possibilities are endless. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was the coolest graphic because it's super true. Yeah, it's, it's like, exactly. If you start at this centric point of here's this really niche thing I like, you don't have to stop there because there's this direction or this direction or this mm-hmm. direction you can go in, which I really like because it makes me feel like I'm never going to be limited or boxed in to like this singular realm, which I need. God knows I need that because I have too much energy all the time. <laughs> With maybe the exception of like certain days or times, as you've kind of been able to see today, I've been a little off, but like, I had a teacher who nicknamed me Electron because I couldn't stop moving around the classroom. But I mean, it's good because you can put your energy into all these exactly, awesome yeah. projects and things. I thought, I just think it's like a great way to get in invested in something is to find your niche, but also if you do find that niche, make sure your niche isn't where it stops. Mm-hmm. Because I don't know if you're always going to get exactly what you want. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of ways to get at least some of what you want, but never exactly. Um, not cleanly not without a lot of work getting there too so i think knowing that there's other places to start like you could start on another part of that web and then work your way in too and then work your way out on another route and then maybe come back in like that's the cool part to me so uh what college are you transferring to i'm curious because i feel like i've heard you talk about like the ivy leagues and oh goodness um so since i'm still a senior Applications are right now. Uh, oh, that's fun. This is this is my stressful timing. This is my November first is when early is Ardu. Uh, this is my University of Washington. I just remember doesn't do an early. They only do a regular, but their regular is November fifteenth. So this is my. I'm in stress mode. <laughs> um, if I were to tell you, I want. This one college, I'd probably be lying because I feel like at this point, I don't know what college I want, especially when like computer science is fantastic. And no matter where I go with math and computer science, the number of courses I take will never stop. 
I will make sure to be involved in it in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it almost would feel like such a waste to spend so many years working at it and then suddenly just stop right. when there's no good reason to. It's not like I dislike it. Like, that seems wrong to me. So I don't really want to avoid it, per se. But I do think there are other realms I also have to explore because mm-hmm. there's been a lot I've been involved in. I'm... Um, I'm team captain of my speech and debate team this year, which is amazing. And I'm so happy to be, like, a member of that team. There were four or five graduates last year from that speech and debate team who I still probably talk to on at least, like, an every other day type of basis. (laughs) Um, And, like, one of them's in Chicago, one of them's in Virginia, one of them's in Baltimore. Like, they're other side of the country, but we're still talking very, very actively. Um, Other than, like, the couple I have down in California. Uh, and it's like speech and debate opens up like a very different directive from computer science like I remember my computer science internship this year a lot of the other people in the office weren't inherently people who wanted to be communicators too Mm -hmm. and I think I've seen that be really common with a lot of like STEM fields as a whole is that communication argumentation or laying out something aren't like heavily emphasized and i really really enjoy that process like i love debate um going to dallas last year for debate nationals i loved it same with fort lauderdale the year before like getting to compete and then compete at a high level watch all these other people compete and talk about some really relevant news issues is Mm -hmm. i think really important to me not just for being like aware because also like Hi, Gen Z, half my generation probably can't name more than two of the candidates in the Democratic primaries, unfortunately. Um, I don't want to be part of that 50%. Like, I don't want to feel like I'm unaware of what's going on. Yeah, sure, mm-hmm. won't be able to vote in 2020, but that doesn't mean, like, my voice is non-existent. And one of the clubs I'm starting this year with one of my best friends is Amnesty International's chapter at Westview. Um and they work on like nonpartisan, major, major campaigns, governmental lobbying, and talking about human rights violations, like how we need to treat asylum seekers from the southern border with respect and understand that they're taking refuge, and how we need to actually address means by which we can provide aid and nullify the need for them to have to take refuge. Uh, another one we're talking about is huge right now and especially relevant after Parkland and the things that are happening at the high school scale, as well as the fact that we've now hit over 300 shootings in 2019 alone, and like 300 mass shootings, it's ending gun violence. Uh, And it's things like that where I want to elicit that response, that wow that you just said. Like, I want to hear people knowing that and seeing that. Like, going downtown, being a part of Global Climate Strike, Actually, personally, knowing one of the organizers, unfortunately, BSD was not as supportive as Portland Public Schools District. So I wasn't in a district that was super supportive in that all students were automatically excused to go, which I wish our schools had done. But I knew some of the organizers. And I know someone who is part of the first ever student lawsuit suing the government for the environmental damages that they are causing. and he goes to my school and he inspires me because he's communicating about the need to change. So suddenly I'm not in math or computer science at all. It's still a want to help and still a want to change, but it's really not like STEM. 
which is weird for me. It was jarring. I remember when I was like two, I was already saying I was going to be a scientist. When I was four, there's a video at my old private school, like class academy. It was less than 200 kids. It was so small. And one of the teachers was like, what are you going to be when you grow up? You know, the whole fireman, cop, or superhero, or princess, or like one of those is always the answer at that age. I looked up and I don't know where I heard the word. I genuinely don't. Like there was no good place I could have heard the word, but I just looked up and said, I'm going to be a chemist. Oh. I didn't know what chemistry was. <laughs> That's the funniest part. I had no clue what chemistry was. And suddenly I'm looking up and I'm like, I'm going to be a chemist. That's so cute. But after that, I actually found out what it was and mm-hmm. I got into experiments. I've been doing the science fair since I was five. Like, my first science experiment was the sugar and salt race in dissolving in water. So. I think, I think my first experiment was, we had two pet birds, and I, oh no, well I used one of the birds, and I said, which cereal does he like best? <laughs> and it ended up being Rice Krispies over Cheerios, so. You know, I can see that. I think I can see that, actually, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Rice Krispies just have, like, that similar, like, look to the bird grain almost. I can see that. Very scientific. Yeah, very much. I mean, I which mean, one? You have the scientific question. You yeah, have the variables. True. You have the results. You have the comparative aspects. You have the, I, I hope, kind of constant, the same bird and the same cereal. Yeah. So, like, you have the constants. It feels like it's an experiment. Uh, but, and so it's, like, coming to high school and suddenly, like, I hate saying it, but at the same time, I know it's true, but I also, I always told myself I'd be that girl in high school who didn't change her mind and wasn't that same stereotype, but suddenly I don't know. I mean, there's just so many possibilities. Yeah. You can't just fixate on one thing. There's a level of not knowing that uh, it's so jarring, because it is is fear of the unknown. I'll admit to it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to admit to it, but I will, (laughs) because I think it's true, and I think a lot of us struggle with it, especially as, like, the whole... I need to commit. I'm coming out of these four years to maybe enter into two years, maybe enter into four years, maybe not enter in at all. What is my pull? What is my pull going to be? What is it supposed to be? What's pushing me in X, Y, or Z directions? Is there pressure from my parents? In my case, no, which is amazing. They've been great, other than, like, the expectation that I probably go to a four-year college, but, like, that's always been my expectation for myself, so I don't really feel pressure from them. Um... Other than, you know, to perform my best. But that's more, if I set a standard for myself, I expect my parents to expect me to hold that up. So I don't blame them for that at all. Um, But it's also just, it's interesting. Because there's cultural, I think, competition problems. Competitiveness has become a huge factor. Like, I don't know if you ever saw this with, like, a lot of the people who really, really cared when you were in high school. But, like, in my group with like the kids who care a lot and like the kids who want to push themselves into as many APs as possible. I have, I like will admit to it. And in a lot of ways that sounds bad to like just push yourself into as many APs as possible. Mm -hmm. I think what has separated me from a lot of other students though is I didn't push them into APs like because it was APs. I kind of pushed myself based on, okay, I wanna do these social studies classes. What's the best way for me to learn about econ? AP Econ's my best opportunity. There's no proper full-year government class unless it's AP Gov. We only have one semester of normal Gov and normal Econ. With world history, 
I didn't take global studies in ninth grade because I was in AP US history. I want AP world history to enrich that. So there was always even like social studies or like literature where I went into Lit 10 to match A push because it always made sense for people in A push to be in Lit 10. And then after that, I went into AP Lang because there's no other way coming out of your freshman year Lit 10. You automatically forecast for AP Lang unless you decide to withdraw yourself from the advanced track and go into Lit 11, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to challenge myself. At the time, Lit and Humanities were my weakest subjects. Now I still say writing's my weakest subject. I'm also in two different advanced writing classes this year. I don't have any other classes where I'm doubled up except writing. So it's just because you want to get better at it? Yeah, exactly. I don't think I've seen that with the other students, which is unfortunate, but I've seen like certain other students at my school. Some of them are like me. A lot of them are actually like me, where they're choosing. And sometimes that means they don't choose every AP. There have been classes I've taken that weren't AP. If they were weighted, in my opinion at least, it was coincidence. Like, mm-hmm. that was not the first motivating factor is it's got to be weighted. Because then I also wouldn't spend my time as a peer tutor in my free period. Mm-hmm. Like, I take my free period out this year to be a peer tutor. I could have just done an early release, had more time to work on my way to classes, or I could have petitioned the school board, asked for an extra class. Other students have done that before. I wanted to peer tutor. I've seen other students kind of take out time and also dedicate themselves to other things. One of the smartest people I know is also on varsity for three different sports. She's insane. She's amazing. And she's ridiculously impressive, but she also puts herself in the AP she actually wants to take. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't give in to the pressure of, but I want the weighted course. I haven't seen that with everyone. Like, there's a GPA race to the point where my freshman year was the first year where West, you had to formally declare their withdrawing class rank from the transcript because it was becoming too toxic of an environment. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember when class rank, yeah, it was a big deal, but, like, no one attacked each other for it. Instead, now I've, I've heard stories that aren't even just my own school. A lot of schools in the area where other kids will accuse kids of cheating in hopes that it would fail them in the class so they can be oh, ahead in GPA no. races. Like, teachers are prepared for it, and they know that that's the situation, which is why they don't take it with, like, much, unless it's they see legitimate reasoning that the evidence is sound. It happened to me. And I was just confused, because I was like, I didn't even pay attention Someone to the fact... Someone accused you of cheating? Yeah. Wow. Um, it was in my calculus class, and the worst part was the person who did it was, like, someone I had been actively helping to get their grade back up to an A. Oh. Uh, I would even be the one who, if there was, like a test where I th- they were like, I should have gotten a couple more points to be one grade up. Mm-hmm. I would help them isolate here where you earned those points and you didn't get them. I would even look at my test, put my test next to there so they could look at it after they were both handed back, just so they can look through and see, did she get awarded points that I think I could have gotten awarded too? And then they accused me of cheating because they wanted the GPA over me. Mm-hmm. And it's it's slimy. It, yeah. like, it feels so slimy to be a part of that, even if I'm in the wrong end. Uh, I don't even know if I'm on the wrong end. I feel like I'm on the right end because I'm not taking action like that. That is, yeah, the high school yeah. kind of... And it's, so that's the other thing is, like, now it's, like, social interacts with academic, which is really unfortunate because it's, like, I feel like the healthiest relationships I have are with a lot of the people who aren't driving themselves in every academic route, mm-hmm. even if I'm doing the same, because, like... When I'm around others who aren't focusing on that, 
neither I nor they have to focus on that aspect of our lives. We can kind of chill and push back a little bit, which is nice. And it's like, I don't have to talk about academics when I'm not in the classroom setting anymore. It's not like that with everyone, which is weird. It's really weird. I don't know if like, I, I hope, I sincerely hope you've never had to like be a part of that kind of culture, but I've heard it be a culture otherwhere too, which is weird. I mean, I never got into like the really yeah academic competitive stuff because yeah. I don't know. I never really saw myself as the smarty type. And now I'm like feeling more confident in that. Yeah. Then that would drive me into the whole concept of yeah. what is intelligence and yeah. blah, 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 which I was thinking about this morning. <laughs> I mean, but, I agree with that. I've had people tell me they're not intelligent because they don't test well. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's. Intelligence is a very complex yeah, exactly. and like, uh, thing. It's I don't want to swear on the podcast because I'm not sure what the idea of that is. Slash also, like, I don't know who will listen to it, but, like, that's bull. <laughs> and I'll end it there. It's like, why? In my, like, in my realm, I don't know why you need to go to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be intelligent without getting 100% on every test you get. I, I feel like... Everyone should have an automatic presumption of intelligence. Everyone just has a different way of expressing it. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's not like something that you're just, you are a smart person. It's I mean, like you just learn things and you live life and yeah. you just build your knowledge. I mean, how else do we have different majors, right? Like, how else are some of us mathematical beings who love the calculations, who love the computation or comp sci? And then some of us go into the medical field. Some of us are not even in science at all. We're going to go into like the humanities or maybe art history and creation. Or maybe you are an artist or you are a singer. That's and you can, be, you can be in multiple things at once. Exactly, you can be, yeah. Like, interested in art and math and change your choices. And I think that's that's the point at this point in time. And mm-hmm. in, in like at my age now is like explore. Mm-hmm. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Explore. We're all just humans. We're yeah. all equal. We're all human, no and we're also bound to mistakes. No matter how smart you are, you're, we're all the same. Yes. Which thank you. It's a concept that like he's Damien is sliding a note into the door. I think he wants us to stop because math club is happening. I've gone to the math club meeting. No rush. <laughs> we should wrap up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say. Like, Bye, listeners. <laughs> Whoever you are. <laughs> <laughs>